Welcome to On the Porch, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Leah Hampton is one of the most exciting new voices in Appalachian and American literature. Her work has been published in LitHub, Ecotone, McSweeney's, Guernica, and other places. She's a graduate of the Michener Center for Writers. She has been awarded UT Austin's Keene Prize for Literature, the James Hurst Prize for Fiction, and the Doris Betts Prize. She lives in the Blue Ridge Mountains near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Now her debut book, a story collection, is out from Henry Holt. The title does include an expletive we can't say on the air, so we'll refer to it as F-Face. Welcome to the show, Leah. Hey, Silas. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, why don't we start out by you telling our listeners what you want them to know about your debut collection. Sure. So it's a, a collection of 12 stories about Appalachia. It takes place all over in different parts of Appalachia. And they're not um, connected stories. They're not, you know, there's not like a link to them. They're not overlapping in any way. So it's more like a like an album when you listen to an album mm-hmm. and there's different songs. And the connection between them is they're all about how we interact with the land and our landscape and the the way that we act upon the land as people and sometimes pollute it and sometimes don't do very good things to it, and then the, the how the land responds. And so like mm-hmm. a symbiotic relationship between the characters in the book and the, the landscapes of Appalachia. Great. Well, why this title? Can you, can you talk a little bit about the title? Yeah, I, I felt like it was, so it's, it's, there's a story in the collection with the same title, F. Face, and it's a character who, you know, there's so much about this book, especially because it's in, dealing with a lot of, like, eco-feminist themes. Um, I try to leaven this, the, the book with some humor. Mm-hmm. And I try to kind of make sure that even though we're reading stories about people who are sometimes in desperate or very difficult situations, that, you know, we can still laugh at them. We can still enjoy that this is, uh, there's some, you know, lightness to even very dark situations. So that's part of it. And then also, it's named after a character in the book who I think is a very hopeful character and is a kind of a sign of possibility for the future of Appalachia. And so it's um, it's in honor of those people who find a way to live here and find a way to to be in healthy ways. <laughs> right. It, it it gets attention. The title gets attention. Yeah. Um, um, you you notice it in the bookstore, and also the cover is so great with the the frog. Yeah, um, all spraddled out on the cover, so it all goes to well well together. Well, I find this to be a very contemporary look at Appalachia, and we don't see a lot of that. Um, books set in the region, and especially films, tend to be set in the past. So I love that about this collection. Mm-hmm. I love how modern it is, but also how rooted in the place it is. And it shows that those things don't have to be exclusive from each other. Was that important to you while writing these stories? It was. Thank you for noticing that. It was really important to me. I really felt like there are, you know, much better writers than me and much greater books than mine that have kind of mined our past and that rather than having a sense of responsibility to reflect the history of the place, I really wanted readers to understand where we're at now and where where we where we're going and whether those places that we're going and the, and the ways in which 
contemporary Appalachia is existing as a as a place to be, um, whether that's a healthy place and and what that says about all of us. And so, I was very mindful of trying to think about well, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. That was really important as I was working on the book. Well, yeah, you did a beautiful job of that, and I think that's. Um... You know, where we are right now as a region, we're at this uh, hinge, right? We're at this place of transition. Mm-hmm. And it seems like um, for so long, the region has been a place that has been underrepresented by its so-called uh, political representatives. Mm-hmm. And, and so often, uh, it's it's the artists of the region who have to step forward and and say what we do now, or, you know, suggest okay. those things. So I, I appreciate that about the book a lot. My favorite story in the collection is Parkway. In, in this story, a forest ranger's work often involves finding dead bodies up in the mountains, and you put us so squarely in that world that I was totally immersed in the place while I was reading it. Um, I think what's best about it is that it's so simultaneously tender and gritty how hard is it to pull off that balance and even do you know what I mean when I say that about this story I think uh yes I think I'm married to someone who would say that they live with a tender gritty person (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I think I know what you mean yeah it is it's thank you it's um my wheelhouse you know of, of uh I don't know if it's like a Buddhist thing or what, but I just have this, this, I operate with this sense of how beautiful and delicate and awful and full of suffering life is, you know? <laughs> like all at the same time. And I think that's a very Appalachian viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think the reason I am so much of this place is because I have so many friends that get it and that have the same, you know, kind of approach to the world. Because how can you not, you know, when you live here? It first comes from, I did a lot of research for that story, and just the awareness of, of the fact that it's real, that this really does happen in a lot of national parks where they do find bodies all the time, you know. And then wanting to kind of honor that and honor the research and honor the reality of that, but also I do love, I love horror. Mm-hmm. I love to, you know, I love to get gross. So. <laughs> So yeah, it was it, that that story took a long time. That was one that kind of sat in the cooker for a couple of years before I finally got it right. Yeah, it's such a haunting story. I mean, I I don't think I'll ever forget some of the images in it. And I love you know the main character is so vivid and complex. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I asked you before we came on the air if you could read a brief passage for us. Do you have that handy? I do. Um, I'm going to try to. Um, uh, read a little section from a story called Boomer, which takes place in the fall of 2016, which your listeners might remember was not just the the time when the election was happening, but also in our region, it was a time when we were having forest fires. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was something that really preoccupied a lot of people. So, um, so this is Larry, he's a firefighter, and um, he has decided now to start going out at night to start fighting the fires because it's gotten bad in the fall. By mid-October, he had forgotten what day it was. His team set prescribed burns. They pulled back tons of underbrush, 
cleared out the carpet of leaf litter and ripe tinder from miles of home ground. Masks covered their faces, so they spent entire days in woods they had hunted since childhood, nodding and signaling to each other like pitchers and catchers. Sparks multiplied. Larry worked. In between prevention efforts, state park dispatch, tower lookouts, and his own instinct took him to fires all over the county. Blazes foomed up like signals from the peaks, and the sky for 50 miles in any direction was a low tarp of ash. Volunteers streamed in, and October tumbled quietly out of control. The governor released the National Guard. FEMA set up evacuation stations up and down the Blue Ridge. None of this made the news. When he could get away, Larry would drive home, shower, crash. In his sleep, he heard the thrum of helicopters making retardant drops. He switched from day shifts and went out in the night. Not that it mattered. Either way, he was gone for days at a time. Night work suited him. He could see the enemy and nothing else. He could focus. Larry fought for Hollow Rock every night through November. The teams were barely staying ahead of the threats, which were legion, fierce, and scattered. First, they prayed for rain. When rain didn't come, they prayed for smoke, the death of wind, a cold fog to choke oxygen, douse sparks. Millions of orange cinders floated around Larry perpetually in the dark. Fire likes to jump, to send out emissaries. Each night, more ignited dander and duff swirled and arced over the ditches they dug. Embers burned bright and small like sprites carrying the news of fire. Larry wheezed inside his mask. His breaths echoed and pulled on his upper lip. Even masked, he could taste the firebrands in the scorched air. They were lighted wicks, uncandled, unbound tendrils eating themselves. They passed delicately in front of him, seeking hosts. When it was quiet, when no one was shouting, Larry heard the trees recoil. Branches crackled, trunks creaked and flinched from the bite of flame. Most of the embers burned themselves out, dissipating into charred vapor. Some he swatted or stomped. The ones he couldn't reach, the few that caught a wind, continued on in the thick ether above the forest, eventually coming to rest on fresh, dry victims in the distance. This is On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House, and we are talking to Leah Hampton, author of the new short story collection, F-Face. This is WUKY 91.3 FM. Well, Leah, um, we talked earlier about the simultaneous use of the tender and the gritty, and I've noticed in this book that you really like to work with contradictions like that. Um, For instance, the book's title refers... um, to the manager, one layer of, of the title refers to the manager of a grocery store who is perhaps misunderstood um, and more compassionate than his employees might think. So to me, these moments really complexify uh, people, of course, but also go a long way in complexifying rural working class characters in ways that um, they seldom are in contemporary media. So can you talk a little bit about that, about uh, working class uh, characters and the rural? Sure, yeah, that's, that, it's real important to me because I come from a working class background and, I'm, you know, my parents are 
real labor union types and you know and I think of myself even though I'm you know a fancy writer now I think of myself as a very working class person in my attitudes and I know that that is a, a complicated way to live and that you when you are a working person you know a lot more than you're given credit for you know and I think one of the things that's been interesting is to see reviews for the book. I've been very lucky to have good reviews for the book, and I'm very appreciative of that. But I do occasionally see, especially, you know, reviewers who maybe aren't from the region who say things like, oh, gosh, your characters are so so (laughs) (laughs) three-dimensional. And I think, well, what else is a person Mm -hmm. who's working harder than you could ever imagine, but full of dimension and full of complexity and full of contradiction? And I think that's reflective of the region also, that people people tend to try to simplify Appalachia, and they tend to try to think of it as, you know, just one thing that can then explain away some of their prejudices or some of their lack of understanding about, you know, energy issues or racial issues or whatever issue they might be trying to use Appalachia for. I think we do try to oversimplify it mm-hmm. and oversimplify rural experience in general. So yes. I wanted them to be people who were reflective of the people that I knew and who are smart and have a lot going on in their brains. Right. Well, sort of on that same uh, track, um, in the story Twitchell, you look, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Yeah, in Twitchell, you look at the way corporations are so often given more rights than individuals, especially in rural places. So why is that issue important to you? Well, it's important. I think it should be important to anybody who cares about the environment. Um, And I, way back in the day, in my younger days, I was an environmental activist. And um, I'm just very aware of, you know, cancer clusters and pollution and how that relates to our region. But then because I think of the book as being very much an environmental collection um, and more so about our relationship with our ecology than anything... Um, it was really important to me to have stories in there where um, we're facing up to the issues of late capitalism and how that affects not just people but land and that, that those things are going to be happening in symbiosis. Um, so Twitchell's a story where a woman is dealing with her inability to recognize or her community's inability to admit kind of their culpability in, you know, everybody wants a job. But then, what does that job mean? Mm-hmm. What what kind of what kind of literal filth does that bring when you sell out your landscape like that? And right. so she's dealing with the aftermath of that. And it's it's hard for people, you know, because you need to make a living. But there are also real important questions we need to ask. Yeah. Well, there's also a story in the collection that's set at Dollywood. Can you talk about that one a little bit? <laughs> oh, um, uh, you mean our our highest and most heavenly angel. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, w- I, you know, I want to do the hipster thing and say I was into Dolly before it was cool, because that story was written way before she funded the vaccine for COVID and, <laughs> you know, all the books that have been coming out about her lately. Um, she's just somebody who's always been really important to me, I think, like anybody. And I just have always appreciated her. And so there's some... Uh, I wanted to end on a kind of a hopeful note, and I, you know, the story kind of be- the book kind of begins and ends with stories where you have people who who do make it out or people who do make it work here, and so she is this light, right? She is this 
this beacon for especially a lot of women in the region of what's possible and how you can be yourself and not lose your accent and yes. not lose where you're from, but still live and still be something. And and so I wanted to represent that. So there's a character who um, really has uh, something of a bad crush on her husband's uh, uh, research partner, and she doesn't know how to hit on him. So she does the only thing a girl knows how to do, which is take him to Dollywood and hope that he'll be impressed by that. And, and well, you can imagine how that goes. <laughs> right. What's well, a great one. Um, now, some of these stories are comedic, and I find that really hard to do as a writer myself. Now, you know, I love following you on Twitter, and you're very funny <laughs> on there. Yeah. But, but in literature, that's a whole different ballgame. It's much, yeah. much harder to pull off, right? And so is writing something funny in a short story something that comes easily for you? Or, you know, or is it something that you have to really strive to do? I mean, I just find it so difficult. I think that I am a person who's always used uh, humor as a defense mechanism. You know, I was the kid in school that... I didn't get picked on as much because I could make you laugh before you realized that my clothes weren't as nice as yours, mm-hmm. you know. So in that sense, it kind of comes automatically to me. Um, but I think in terms of writing, it's important for me because I did recognize that it's such, a lot of the time, it's such heavy subject matter. And so I wanted to, you know, for the reader to be able to go, whew, that's a tough one. Okay, well, here's something that can make right. me laugh for a second, you yeah. know. And But I think also that, for me, it's really about reflecting the region. Like, Silas, I think you're funny, and I think we all are. And I think when you, especially if you're talking about the Appalachian experience, um, people that I know here, I mean, I will just die from laughing at the simplest story that somebody tells, you know, because I think we, that's a way to survive, and it's a way to get through it, you know. So I wanted to, the book to reflect that kind of um, vibe that yes. Appalachian people have of, you know, listen, let me tell you a rough story, but you're going to laugh along. Exactly. Time. Yeah, it's almost a gallows sort of humor, and um, yeah. it's so specific <laughs> um, to the region um, that I, I think it's really hard to pull off. So you do a great job of that in the book. Um well, when you're a writer from Appalachia, you automatically have this responsibility hoisted onto you to represent your place. And writers from other parts of the country just do not have that, in, you know, in the same way. Um, so how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I think I, you know, I have a, I'm in kind of a unique position because I, on the one hand, I feel so much a part of it, but at the same time I am an outsider because my father and my upbringing and my father's family is all Kentucky and Western North Carolina, but my mother is British and I lived overseas a lot too. And so I've always been, you know, an outsider in a lot of ways. And I think that that makes me observant and it makes me um, uh, maybe attentive in ways that not everybody else is. So I guess I feel responsible, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes I'm not in the circle, you know, and haven't ever been. Mm -hmm. And so I try to let that go, and I try to write things that are, especially now because I'm working on 
more unusual and fabulous work and just trying to use the place the way I know it and recognize that my experience is valid, but also to keep a step back from it. Because mm-hmm. I think you have to do that. Yeah. Lee Smith talks about that, about yes. you know being outside the circle. And, and, and when you write about it, that's the second you kind of leave the community anyway. Right. You know? Well, I have recommended your book to lots of people, and um, I think it's especially a really great book for book clubs, and so I've told a lot of book clubs about it. But So I want to ask you, what's the last book you read that you'd recommend to our readers, to our listeners, who, oh, uh, who gosh, tend to be you know, readers? The literal, actual last book I read um, was I reread Marilyn Robinson's Housekeeping, mm. which I just think is a beautiful book. Um, and before that... I was reading Edward Carey's The Swallowed Man because I love um, folktale and fairy tale, and Edward Carey has rewritten Pinocchio Mm. from the perspective of Geppetto. And it's all about Geppetto spending two years inside the whale. Mm. And, uh, and And it's this sort of, it's a real quick read, and it's, uh, it's this kind of rumination on fatherhood and creation and, and depression and loss and, just really a beautiful book and uh so that i would i would say try those two great well uh one final question um since we uh the first half of our show is dedicated to music and then the second half is dedicated to interviews so who are you listening to these days that you really love oh gosh who am i listening to well you know i i find i like to write in silence but i'm always listening to songwriters that have wonderful lyrics. So Tiffany Williams, who's a, a Tennessee sing, singer-songwriter whom I love, I love to listen to her. And then I always love, um, oh gosh, you know, I love Joan Armatrading, I love Elvis Costello. I like to have people who who can hit me in the chest with their lyrics. Mm. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Leah, and thanks to all of you I hope you will look for her book available wherever fine books are sold. I loved it, and I think you will too. We're going to close today with a classic from Tom Petty. Until next time, be good to one another. Here's Down South. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio and we thank you for joining us.